Patience That Does Not Compel, a class by Wilson McCoy. If you're listening to this, I want to say a big thank you for joining Harbor 2021. As you are well aware, this is not the original intention of what Harbor was supposed to look like this year or last year. And yet I want to say a big thank you to Mike and Joella and so many others who over the last couple of years have tried to be adaptive and discerning about the best way to carry out this event. Last year, it was delayed by a year, and this year, the format is being modified, and so I want to thank them and so many others for making this available to a lot of different leaders around the country and other people who typically involve themselves with this wonderful yearly event. If you are listening to this, then typically you would know that at a normal class or a normal presentation that there would be some kind of opening introduction to the speaker. And so even though that feels a bit unusual and awkward, I am going to introduce myself because there's no one else here to do it for me. As I previously mentioned just a minute or so ago, my name is Wilson McCoy, and I am a minister in Lebanon, Tennessee, which is just outside of Nashville. And I have served at this congregation, College Hills, for over a decade. Last year marked 10 years with this congregation. This has been the longest tenure that I've been at any congregation. I've served others in Tennessee, some in Texas, and even in Australia, but this last decade at College Hills has been especially meaningful to me. I've served in young adult ministry, small groups, adult education, and preaching. And one of the main things that I have worked on at College Hills is to try to cultivate a more intergenerational focus in the life of our church. In fact, in 2016, I graduated from Lipscomb University with a doctorate of ministry with a project that focused specifically on the intergenerational reading of Scripture in the life of a congregation. That's been an exciting part of the work that I've done with this congregation over the last year. And if you're specifically interested in that project, I would highly encourage you to check out the book, Intergenerate, Transforming Churches Through Intergenerational Ministry. It's a wonderful resource that brings together many people from the academy and many people from local congregations to talk about intergenerational ministry in the life of the church. The most important part of this introduction, saving the best for last, is letting you know about my wife, Jessica, who is a marriage and family therapist and owns her own practice in the Nashville area. And you can find out more about her practice at jessicamccoycounseling.com. And my daughter, Everly, who is a little over two years old. And together as a family, we are trying to make it through this strange season and some of the ways in which we are enjoying this extra time that we've had over the last year or so as a family is to spend time taking walks in our neighborhood and local park, having water days in the backyard, and trying to make the most of what has been a very, very strange season. And that is the end of my introduction of myself. So thank you for 
bearing through that with me. And before we jump into our class for today, I want to let you know that if you have any questions or comments or want to give any feedback about anything that I have said previously or will say from here on out, please know that the best way to get in touch with me is through email, wilson.mccoy at gmail.com, wilson.mccoy at gmail.com, and would love to hear from you if and when you are able to reach out and have any questions or comments or anything that you want to follow up on from our class today. Our class today is called Patience That Does Not Compel, and we're trying to look at things that made the early church distinctively Christian. And I believe that this topic is not just one that is timely for this year, but it's one that is timely for this large season and this long season in which we have been apart for well over the last year. And so I'm excited about being able to speak with you a bit today about patience that does not compel The guiding passage for today that I want to read as we begin and then pray and then share some reflections is 2 Peter 3, verses 8 through 15. 2 Peter 3, verses 8 through 15. There we read, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends... Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for today. We're grateful for this opportunity to listen and learn from your word, and I pray that as I share some reflections today, that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching, and that you would give us all the gift of open hearts, that you would speak to us, not just in this class, but in all the other offerings that are being given as a part of Harvard this year, that you would bless the speakers and the listeners, and that you would help us all to become learners who continue to learn the way of Jesus together. We pray all of these things in His name. Amen. A few summers ago, I was asked by a friend to speak at his church as a part of their summer preaching series. 
He works a couple of hours away from where I live, and by the time that I finished the drive, it turned out to be about a two and a half hour drive. Now, this typically would not be a problem except that, one, I got a late start on the day I was supposed to go and preach there. Two, the day that he asked me to preach was a hot July summer. And three, and most important to the story, I did not have a working air conditioner in my car that day. So these factors combined to create a fairly memorable night, to say the least. Because as I left my town of Lebanon that afternoon, I was already feeling rushed and hurried, and the combination of heat and no air conditioner served as a kind of oven for my emotions. The further I drove down the interstate, the hotter it got, and the more rushed I felt. Because I knew I was going to be late. I knew I would be cutting it close to get to his church on time. And did I mention it was hot? (laughs) Now, I had prepared somewhat for the heat because I packed an extra shirt to change into. But I had not prepared for such extreme heat as to bring deodorant. Yes, so at the last minute, a quick decision. I pulled into a local Dollar General in order to make a quick purchase as I hurried inside. But when I hurried inside, all I saw was a very long line. I quickly looked down at my watch, realized I was going to be late to service, and made a quick decision and hurried out of the store without any purchase. I quickly jumped into my car, quickly looked at my Watch, quickly looked back, quickly started my car, and quickly backed up to get out of the parking lot fast. And it was about that time when I heard a crunch in the back of my rear bumper. I then realized I had backed up into a car and I did not see it. It was there the whole time, but I had been in too much of a hurry to see it, until I ran into it. (laughs) Now, thankfully, no one was hurt except my wallet and my pride. But I got to church with just a few minutes to spare, thankfully. And then I ended up preaching what would be one of my stinkiest sermons of all time. Pun intended, I can imagine that you are laughing heartily right now. Thankfully, and I realized this later upon reflection, that event and that evening became a kind of convicting metaphor for my life. Because the more that I thought about the event, the more I realized why the wreck happened. The wreck happened because I was in a hurry. I was in a hurry which caused me to be impatient, and that spirit caused me to wreck my car. I'm increasingly convinced that event from last summer is not just a convicting metaphor for my life, but for the lives of many people today, including 
some of you who are likely listening to this lesson. Because for many of us, we live with a spirit of hurry and impatience, and it is wrecking our lives. Now, I intentionally use the word spirit because it reminds us that there are forces and factors that drive our words and actions and produce certain kinds of lives that we live. And one of the most tempting spirits of our age is a spirit of hurry. Because it seems like we're all in a hurry, does it not? And part of this should not surprise us because we live in this amazing world of progress technological advances that give us access to efficiency and productivity in ways we never imagined. I love Amazon Prime. I love high-speed internet. I love direct flights. I love getting things done. And so we, myself included, have just grown accustomed to expect to get things done quickly and efficiently, and it is awesome. And yet, at the same time, one of the primary challenges I hear as a minister often is simply this challenge. And I quote, my plate of life feels so full and my pace of life feels so fast. Some version of that is one of the most frequent things I hear from people at my congregation. My plate of life feels so full, and my pace of life feels so fast. And the more I've reflected on this voice from the life of my congregation, the more I'm convinced that progression in some areas leads to regression in other areas. Or I would say it another way. As we progress the pace of our lives, we regress the patience of our lives. As our pace increases, our patience decreases. We are guided so often by a spirit of hurry. And that spirit of hurry produces the fruit of impatience. The spirit of hurry produces the fruit of impatience. This spirit is a force in our world, and it is shaping us into very impatient people. That spirit of hurry produces the fruit of impatience. But Christians, followers of Jesus, are called to have a different kind of spirit shaping our lives. What it means to be a Christian is to have the Holy Spirit of God produce fruit in our lives. And if there is anything we need to know about the Spirit of God, it is that God is a patient God. One of the most pivotal moments in the history of God's people comes in Exodus. Exodus, if you remember, tells the story of God delivering Israel out of the bondage of slavery God hears the cry of the people. God calls Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. God parts the waters for their deliverance and then leads them to Mount Sinai to enter into relationship. Yet at the mountain, the relationship almost never happens. 
Because while Moses is on the mountain for 40 days receiving the details of the relationship, the people grow impatient. And their impatience leads them to build a golden calf, and God almost calls the whole thing off. But Moses... Moses intercedes, and God chooses to remain with them and recommit to them. And as a part of the recommitment, God reminds the people of His nature. Before they enter into covenant relationship with God, He wants them to know the kind of God they are marrying, so to speak. And the first thing God says about who God is is this statement. The Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Exodus 34, 6. This one statement will get quoted or echoed around 23 times throughout the Old Testament. This statement of God becomes one of the most definitive understandings of who God is for the people of God from this moment forward. And so foundational for the people of God. At the start of their marriage relationship with God is the picture of a God who is patient. A God who is slow to anger. A God who is steady and stable. A God who perseveres and endures. A God who is not in a hurry. But a God who is patient. And so... It shouldn't surprise us that when Jesus comes along, His life, ministry, and teaching are animated and shaped by the Spirit of God. And so He produces the fruit of patience as well. In patience, Jesus became a human and lived among us. In patience, He walked the earth and ministered to all kinds of people. In patience, he told parables and teachings about this kingdom with leaven and seeds, illustrating the way it works. In patience, he faced death and he did not retaliate, but trusted God. When we see Jesus, we see God in the flesh and we see an embodiment of the God of the Exodus. Jesus is merciful and gracious to the people He encountered. Jesus is slow to angry with His disciples and with the crowds. Jesus is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness to the point of death. His life and ministry were driven by the Spirit of God, and so He produces the fruit of patience with His life. And as the early church is sent out in the power of the Spirit of God, it should be noted that they continue to understand the nature of God as a God who is patient and steadfast. One of the best lines in all of the New Testament that captures this nature of God is found in 2 Peter 3, where we read, The Lord is not slow in keeping with His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. From the beginning of the story of Scripture until the very end, we consistently see this image of this Spirit of God who is not in a hurry, 
Spirit of God is patient, slow, steadfast. And this God, it is the Spirit of this God that should animate and form our lives as Christians. You and me, the people of God, are called to be animated and produce the fruit of the Spirit. We are not called to be animated by this spirit of hurry, which produces the fruit of impatience. We are called to produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience. We're called to be people of patient ferment in our lives. Now, this phrase, patient ferment, is not one of my own making. I'm borrowing it from lifelong historian Alan Kreider, who set out to write a book a few years ago in hopes to answer this one question. Why did the church experience such tremendous growth in the first 300 years of its existence? Why did the church experience such tremendous growth in the first 300 years of its existence? The reason that the church growing during that time, the reason it was so surprising is because it was not a mainstream religion when it was first formed. Christianity was a sideshow. It was a cult. It was a small minority in this massive Roman Empire. Christianity was not the thing everyone did, but only a few people. And yet, they grew. But why? And so Kreider takes his life of being a historian to propose an answer to the question. And his answer is seen in the title of the book that he ended up writing. And the book that he ended up writing was called this, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, The Improbable Rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire. His basic answer to the question boils down to that one key phrase, patient ferment. On the one hand, the early church was extremely patient. He writes this, The Christians believed that God is patient and that Jesus visibly embodied patience. And they concluded that they, trusting in God, should be patient, not controlling events, not anxious or in a hurry, and never using force to achieve their ends. End quote. In fact, these earliest Christians would refer to patience in some of their earliest writings as the virtue that was uniquely Christian. In other words, the earliest Christians believed that what would make them distinctive would be their patience. Deep in our history as a movement is this fundamental virtue of being patient people. But on the other hand, the key word in Kreider's work is ferment, the patient ferment of the early church. And Kreider uses this word more as a metaphor for the church's conviction. They believed in the work of God as a kind of, and I quote, bubbling energy, not susceptible to human control, and its pace could not be sped up, end quote. As many of you likely do not know, I, in my free time, like to make bread. 
This is something I started many, many years ago when I was in graduate school, and then once I got married, for some reason, my wife didn't mind that I would make bread on the weekends and on a regular basis. And the more that I have made bread over the last several years, the more I've become interested in the process and not just the product. And if you've ever made bread, then you know that you cannot rush the process. You get flour, you get salt, you get water and yeast, and then you mix them together. But the key ingredient, the thing that kind of makes bread bread is the yeast. You need the yeast because it is the key player in what makes the dough rise. The rising or growing of the dough happens through the process of fermentation. Fermentation is when the yeast begins eating all of the sugar in the flour, and then it releases gases. And that release of gas is what causes the flour to begin expanding, growing, and rising. Fermentation is a slow bubbling that occurs within the dough to give it its flavor and texture. Fermentation is a process that requires the cook to slow down and let chemistry do its work. Fermentation takes time. It takes patience. It takes a release of control and a large dose of trust. And so this practice of making bread has become a kind of spiritual practice for me because it forces me not to hurry invites me to be patient. It reminds me that when it comes to many things in life, I need to release control because there are other forces outside of myself that are at work in the world. And this spiritual practice reminds me of the thing that the earliest Christians held close as a key fruit in their lives, that they must be patient people, not in a hurry, willing to trust the work of God outside of themselves. They were a people of patient ferment, and we are called to be a people of patient ferment as well. We're not called to produce the fruit of hurry, which is impatience. We're called to produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience. God still desires to produce the fruit of patience in our lives. And one of the things that I think this means for us is that we would cultivate practices of patience that help form this virtue in us, this uniquely Christian virtue. We need practices and habits that teach us the ways of patient trust in God. We need avenues and access points where God can use the everyday events of our lives to let His Spirit produce the fruit of patience in our lives. And one significant dimension of that patience is patience that does not compel, patience that does not coerce, patience that does not always try to force to make things happen. 
In fact, it's in the very forcing of trying to make things happen that we're often resisting the fruit of the spirit of patience in our lives. That patience that does not compel is patience that calls us to trust, to slow down, to open ourselves up to the work of God that cannot be controlled or manipulated by what we do. That instead, we're called to be people who willingly and regularly and uniquely in this world submit ourselves in such a way that we trust that God is at work, that we trust that we don't have to always compel and coerce to get things done our way or to convince someone to see things our way, but instead, the Spirit of God is at work forming a different kind of fruit in our lives. And so what I want to do to close this lesson today is to offer some practices of patience, practices that I think will help us to develop a patience that doesn't compel, but a patience that trusts the Spirit of God at work in the world. So practice or idea number one is this. Practice the art of the Sermon on the Mount. Practice the art of the Sermon on the Mount. What's noteworthy about the Sermon on the Mount is that throughout the teaching of Jesus, He keeps pointing us to a steadfast and patient God. This is a God who steadily provides rain and sunshine on all people, not just some. This is a God who lovingly and patiently knows and provides for our needs. Jesus points us to a steady, reliable, trustworthy God. And woven throughout the sermon are actions and ways of living that teach us to trust this God. Practices like not retaliating, going the extra mile, loving your enemies, being generous with all people, practicing forgiveness, prayer, giving resources, and fasting. And the point of these practices, I am increasingly convinced, are as much about being a distinctive witness as they are about teaching us to actually trust God. Practice number two, or idea number two, practice the art of slowing. One of the best ways to learn patience is to put yourself in situations where you will be forced to cultivate patience. In some ways, these can be challenging practices, things like choosing to stand in the longest line at the grocery store, waiting in the doctor's office without checking your phone, or simply choosing to engage the person in front of you who you know is going to test your patience. But in some ways, learning this art can be fun and maybe even beneficial because you can choose practices like, I don't know, eating a nice meal as slow as possible to savor every flavor on the plate, finding a favorite location and slowly walking around to observe God's beautiful creation, or even baking a loaf of bread. There are even practices that 
are sometimes presented to us that we don't expect and that we don't initiate because sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we realize in the moment that we have to be patient. But the thing is, it's simply about having those eyes to see opportunities to cultivate patience. Paying attention to those moments in the day where this virtue has the possibility of being formed in us. Finally, idea three, practice the art of prayer. Now, if you've noticed, I've intentionally used the word art throughout these three ideas because art implies time, experimentation, and a willingness to learn. And that's especially true with prayer because prayer is not just something that happens in our lives, but it's also something that we learn over time. And one fruit of prayer is deepening trust in God. And so as I close our reflection today, I want to close with a prayer and offer it to you as a gift, as a kind of guide in learning patient trust. In fact, the prayer is named Patient Trust. It's a very old prayer that I stumbled upon many years ago, written by a priest who has long passed from this world. And his name, and I always mispronounce it, but it's Pierre Telhard de Chardin. And he's an old Jesuit priest who wrote these words many years ago that I want to close as a closing prayer to our time together today. He writes, Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what time, that is to say, grace and circumstances acting on your own goodwill, will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that His hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. Amen.